It's December, and just like we mentioned last week, since it's December, we're just going to stick to the hitting to hitting the top stories of the week, keeping it light, keeping it moving, keeping it informative as we slide into the Christmas holiday. Uh, well, we'll meet back here again next week, and then for an administrative note, we're going to be starting December 22nd, we're going to be on a Christmas holiday, and there won't be any By Land and By Sea episodes during that time. We'll look forward to seeing you again January 12th. But until then, we have this week and we have next week. Hi, welcome by Land and by Sea, an attorney breaking down the week in supply chain presented by the Maritime Professor, me. I'm Lauren Began, founder of the Maritime Professor and Squall Strategies, and I'm your favorite maritime attorney. Join me every week as we walk through both ocean transport and surface transport topics in the wild world of supply chain. As always, the guidance here is general and for educational purposes only. It should not be construed to be legal advice, and there's no attorney-client privilege created by this video or this podcast. If you need an attorney, contact an attorney. So usually before we get into the discussion of the day, we go through my top three stories of the week. But like we said at the outset, this month we're just doing Captain's Log Holiday Edition, which means we are hitting all top stories of the week. So settle in as we embark on this week's Captain's Log Edition, holiday edition of By Land and By Sea. So story number one, as always, we're watching the Federal Maritime Commission closely for the release of any movement on their three open rulemakings. And we haven't seen much in a while, but every week it seems that there's at least something to kind of look back and, and chat about. So, uh, you know, Maybe there's still more to come, but still, as of this recording, it hasn't happened today. <laughs> uh, I, I'm going to keep them on my radar next week. We'll see. Maybe we'll have final language on one of them, but I, I don't know. Maybe not. Um, remember, the FMC is working through three rulemakings and one RFI, Request for Information, that they were directed, most of those rulemaking, the, the rulemakings anyways, they were directed to undertake by the Ocean Shipping Reform Act of 2022. So those rulemakings were defining unreasonable refusal to deal and negotiate with respect to vessel space accommodations provided by an ocean common carrier. <laughs> I'm getting really good at saying that full long name. Uh, they are also reviewing billing practices of detention and demurrage, and they are reviewing defining unfair, unjustly discriminatory methods. So the first one, the Supplemental Notice of Proposed Rulemaking, it closed July 2023. This is the defining unreasonable refusal to deal and negotiate with respect to vessel space accommodations provided by an ocean common carrier. I haven't covered too many of these comments filed for the Supplemental Notice of Proposed Rulemaking, uh, but, you know, every once in a while I come across one that kind of warrants a little bit more of a discussion and perhaps, a, a, a you know, just as part of our routine highlighting of random comments we come across. So this week I, I found an interesting comment that I did want to mention. Um, it's a comment filed by the Caribbean Ship Owners Association and the Central American Discussion Agreement. Um, so the members of this agreement are ocean common carriers operating in the foreign commerce of the United States. And as you can imagine, they are related to the Caribbean and Central America. <laughs> this is the Caribbean Ship Owners Association and Central America Discussion Agreement. 
So respectively, the parties involved in this comment, um, uh, kind of this comment is on behalf of the Caribbean Shipowners Association, which is Crowley Caribbean Services, Hyber Limited, uh, King Ocean Services Limited, Seaboard Marine Limited, Seacore Island Lines LLC, Tropical Shipping and Construction Company Limited LLC. And then the Central American Discussion Agreement members are Crowley Latin America Services, uh, Dole Ocean Cargo Express, Great White Fleet Corp., Uh, King Ocean Services Limited, Seaboard Marine Limited, Tropical Shipping and Construction Company Limited. So those are the those are the parties that are part of this comment. And I only only say that just so that you have kind of familiarity of of the different parties that are in these agreements. So what does the comment actually say then? So they're asserting that all their members will be directly and substantially impacted by any regulations adopted and that there are substantial issues with this supplemental notice of proposed rulemaking, and they urge that the regulations not be adopted or at a minimum be significantly revised prior to adoption. Um, This is, uh, I mean, so yeah, they're, they're ocean carriers, right? But they're working in the Caribbean and Central America area, and they're asking for this unreasonable refusal to deal and negotiate with respect to vessel space accommodations be completely abandoned, um, or, or that's kind of how I'm reading it, right? That they're saying there's substantial issues and urge that the regulations not be adopted or be significantly revised. So one of the things, so, I, you know, I caught my attention. So one of the things that that they were saying is that the documented export policy as proposed is unnecessary and excessively burdensome. Now, the the documented export policy, we were talking about that. That's kind of changed a little bit from um, when it was first introduced by the Federal Maritime Commission in this, uh, it was the Notice of Proposed Rulemaking. Um, They modified it a little bit for the Supplemental Notice of Proposed Rulemaking, and they kind of clawed it back from the original proposal that was going to be a lot more, from my perspective, if I remember this right, a lot more burdensome um, in kind of the filing that was required. Um, So they, yeah, they basically, so what's interesting in this filed comment is that they identify that the FMC said that the problem with an export in said that there's a problem with an export imbalance, right? And that's kind of what the whole thing was predicated on was Congress was directing the FMC to take this undertake this rulemaking. Congress even said that it needed to be focused on exports um, because what was happening for a little kind of historical perspective, what was happening was that there were some of these pop-up cargo um, container moving companies, these these ocean carriers pop up that were, really taking advantage of those $20,000 per box freight rate prices that were happening from Asia to the West Coast. But they weren't really waiting around for exports, and they were kind of giving what seemed to be junk explanations on why they weren't. My understanding is that a lot of those have gone away, but that's what part of the the problem was, was Congress wanted to make sure that that was a little bit more balanced, that the imports that were coming in that were getting these $20,000 freight rates couldn't turn around and say, oh, no, we don't take exports. So the FMC at the very beginning of all this said, if you categorically deny exports, we will categorically call that unreasonable. And they're trying to kind of hinge on this. You need to have justification for any exports you're either denying if you are open to exports or just they want to try to create some sort of uh, verification or justification system. So that's what the FMC was saying, right? There's a problem with an export imbalance. This comment is saying, look, that's mostly an east-west trade, not the Caribbean. And that's what kind of piqued my attention about this was 
Oh yeah, of course, right? They of course they're talking about these global global ocean shipping, but they're really that the the intention here was this east west trade, this Asia west coast, and not the Caribbean. And so, what about these ocean carriers that are only servicing these smaller areas or these more specific or these more regional areas? They even go as far as to say the exports are significantly higher in this in this realm. Because there's actually very little cargo moving to the United States from the islands of the Caribbean or or Central America, as these two associations um, and agreements are are covering. So yeah, of course, the, I mean, not only is there not an export problem, but if anything, there's probably an import problem. Like like they're saying, there there's too much export and not enough import, which really isn't you know as far as this intention was concerned, wasn't part of the overall conversation. So I thought that that was an interesting piece, and I wanted to kind of bring that to to your attention because as I looked at it, I just thought it was something interesting to think about. Um, So they explain through the comment, this would be a burden that would increase administrative burdens and costs for the carriers serving these trades, and a burden that is particularly significant because the agreement carriers are smaller and primarily regional operators rather than large global carriers. So, you know, the the kind of the thought is, well, we need to balance this import-export. It was Asia West Coast, and it was trying to get at these pop-up carriers that were taking advantage of the high freight rates of a import to the U.S., but were trying to get away from waiting around or uh, being part of the exporting of goods from the U.S. This doesn't talk, right? This is This is a totally different area. Um, so the, the comment continues to say, if the commission proceeds to adopt the requirement that carriers establish, file, and adhere to a documented export policy, which for the reasons set forth below, it should not, at a minimum, the scope of that requirement should be limited to those trades where the alleged non-carriage of exports is an issue. So they're saying, look, why don't you just make this a little bit more precise? If we're talking about East-West Coast, uh, Asia to West Coast trades, and that's really where this export problem exists. Let's carve that out. Let's let's make that the intention. Or, you know, conversely, let's carve out the Caribbean. So, you know, if they do carve out the Caribbean, it, it start if you start to make exceptions, right? Where's the threshold? So, where would non-carriage of exports be? You know, still be an issue? Where would that where would that threshold be? It's been said that carriers that popped up actually during this twenty thousand dollar per box rate have actually all but gone away now. Um, so, you know, allegedly this this would potentially be – the this whole section of the rulemaking might even be solving a problem that doesn't exist anymore, right? Maybe the intention of this rulemaking now has become and pivoted creating regulatory requirements so that that doesn't happen again, so that these pop-ups can't take advantage of high box rates and then just deny, categorically deny exports. And I think that's where we're going here. But it's just, do, do you kind of, are you are you attaching to this thought that I have here where this is interesting that this regional area that has nothing to do with that larger problem is asking for a carve out or is, is asking for, not necessarily a carve out, but asking for further consideration here saying, look, don't accidentally make it harder for us when not only are we are we moving these exports to the islands, uh, but this is going to be incredibly burdensome, and we're not who you're trying to go after, right? That that's 
That's pretty interesting. Um, look, I'm not going to go through the entire comment that they filed. I just wanted to highlight that little piece. The comment said that the legislative history um, doesn't actually support the FMC requiring this future-facing report, that they only they only require or they, they only have statutory authority for reporting in data of past transactions. That's also another kind of interesting thing. They cite legislative history and minutes of comments, um, minutes of conference meetings, but as a general statement, I guess that makes some sense, right? So they're saying the FMC can't require future-facing reporting. It's just reporting in data of past transactions. But I don't know if this absolute is actually always absolute, right? So if you think about it a little bit more, and maybe I was just in a contemplative mood today as I was looking through this. But, you know, so arguably service contracts are forward-facing, right? So so that's forward-facing. Um, but they're not a collection of data or reporting, right? So, so that that kind of is is in line there too. Um, I think the question is: Is a documented export policy such a novel idea, right? Where else do we have documented export policy filings at the FMC? And maybe I'm just maybe I'm just totally missing something huge here. But this this filing of the of the business policy of the business decisions. Um, maybe that requires statutory justification in a more blunt and direct manner, um, right? So maybe that's what the FMC should or could address um, in their contemplation of that creation, right? This documented export policy. Um, I think as a general matter, yes, all FMC activity, right? All Federal Maritime Commission and really all federal government agency activity should remain ready to justify their statutory authority for the creation of new requirements, right? Or regulations. Um, but what about this specific piece? And and it's just something to chew on. I'm I'm not exactly sure what I even think about it. I'm still kind of mulling it over myself, but I wanted to bring it to your attention. Um, you know, perhaps we'll see more statutory justification in the next round here. Uh, maybe that's what we will see if we get final rule on the next one, because this is pretty Interesting, pretty significant. I, I think a certainly significant thought that the FMC should consider um, unintended consequences of some of these determinations or policies or proposals that they're putting up in this supplemental notice of proposal making. Um, I was under the impression that the next round was going to be the final rule, but like I said, this comment raises some good questions that may warrant another supplemental notice of proposed rulemaking round. So all this to say, perhaps we will not be seeing final text. This isn't a new comment. This is just something that I happened to come across uh, in in the, the comments that were filed over the summer. This, remember, this supplemental notice of proposal rulemaking closed up July 31st. Um, so it's been a while. But I don't know. This, I, I, it just, it piqued my interest. I thought it was interesting. I wanted to pass it along. Um, so again, the other two rulemakings that we're waiting on are billing practices of detention demurrage. That closed December 2022. But I talked about this last week. There was an additional late-filed comment from the Transportation and Infrastructure uh, to Congressman Jake Auchincloss from Massachusetts and Brian Baben of, of Republican from Tennessee, excuse me, Texas, uh, Republican from Texas. And then there's an ex parte communication posting that the chairman had met with Jake Auchincloss. Um, there's no new movement from last week when we talked about that. There's no new movement on billing practices of D&D at all um, that I can see from the regulations.gov. So still watching that. Um, and then 
The third one is the defining unfair or unjustly discriminatory methods. We're still waiting on language on that one. The FMC had said previously, like I keep mentioning, that they included some of that in the unreasonable refusal to deal or negotiate language. Um, but there's no new movement here. There, there hasn't been a new uh, posting or anything of, of this specific third rule defining unfair or unjustly discriminatory methods. Um, again, I'm also watching the Maritime Transportation Data Initiative. No movement there, nothing new, newly posted on the regulations.gov, uh, but I'll continue to watch that. But since we're talking about Congressman Auchincloss, that brings me to story number two. So story number two is that there's a new letter. <laughs> uh, he, he has written another letter. Um, he sent a, a letter dated December 1st, which was announced and supported by the National Association of Waterfront Employees, Employers, NAWI. I sent another letter to the Federal Maritime Commission on a different matter, he and Mike Azell, a Republican from Mississippi, sent a letter to the FMC urging the FMC to, and I quote, use its existing authority to establish a national port advisory committee comprised of port, public port authorities, marine terminal operators, and maritime labor. The letter continues to say this would give ports, MTOs, and labor the same ability to advise the commission on current and emerging issues as shippers were provided in the National Shipper Advisory Committee. This is interesting. I've been talking about where is the National Port Advisory Committee. Um, it's been recommended. It's been talked about. Um, we haven't seen a creation yet out of the Federal Maritime Commission. As the letter says, there is a National Shipper Advisory Committee. We cover that quite often. Uh, their recommendations when they're meeting, different things they're talking about. But we haven't seen the creation of a National Port Advisory Committee. And so actually this letter says it should consist of five MTOs, Marine Terminal Operators, five port authorities, and three longshore and maritime labor representatives to be appointed to the National Port Advisory Committee. So the National Shipper Advisory Committee has uh, much, much more than that. So what is that? Five, 10, 13. It has more than the 13 suggested in this uh, initial letter here. So. Um, I don't know. I think because this is a letter from a TNI committee, so Transportation Infrastructure Committee member, I think that we are probably going to see a National Port Advisory Committee. I think we're going to see some some movement on that early in the new year. Uh, it's it's there's no reason why there really hasn't. I haven't seen any real reason why it really hasn't been stood up yet. Um, but I think that that will likely happen and um, certainly balance out the conversation of stakeholders that are engaging with the Federal Maritime Commission. Um, you know, so like I said, the National Shipper Advisory Committee has been around since 2021. We have covered their recommendations and, and work quite often. Um, but I, I don't know. I, that's my prediction. I, I see that coming around in 2024. All right, story number three. So this next story uh, didn't get a lot of coverage, but I think it's worth noting. Um, I'm I'm still not entirely sure the full significance other than the obvious geopolitical, um, but Russia failed to win re-election to the IMO Council. So the IMO, the International Maritime Organization, is a specialized agency of the United Nations. And so they're responsible for regulating shipping. So the IMO is responsible for re regulating the safety and security of international shipping and preventing pollution. Um, there are 175 member state countries. Um, the, the IMO also has safety of life at sea, which was created after the Titanic. Um, so, you know, the, the IMO itself has actually been around since uh, March 17th, 1958. And actually, Russia has held a seat since those early years. So this is significant. Um, there were 11 nominees for 10 seats on the IMO's executive body, this IMO uh, council. 
the, the, these terms are two-year terms. And so the new 10 states in the IMO Council will be China, Greece, Italy, Japan, Liberia, Norway, Panama, South Korea, and the United Kingdom and the United States. So the change is that Liberia took Russia's spot. Um, so, I mean, Liberia's not a bad choice, right? Liberia flags more tonnage than any other registry, according to the Maritime Executive, who wrote an article on this. And so they make some sense, right? Um, I also wanted to note that the new IMO Secretary General uh, is a representative coming from the Republic of Panama. He begins his term January 1st, 2024. So over the summer, uh, I believe we talked about this, the IMO Council appointed Arsenio Antonio Dominguez Velasco of Republic of Panama. Um, He's going to be serving a four-year term. But like I said, I, I just wanted to highlight this. I, I think that the the obvious geopolitical uh, implications, you know, whatever that makes this a little bit more important, are are there. I, I'm not exactly sure what the larger significance is. Um, there was there was some discussion, but not a lot of coverage. So, I wanted to bring it to your attention. So there there we go. Um, so. There's one other thing that I wanted to mention. It's not going to turn into our fourth story of the day. Like I said, this was going to be kind of a quicker hit uh, day for stories, this and and the rest of the month of December. Um, But it appears that tankers are now foregoing the line at the Panama Canal and going the long way around South America. What I read was that that is a new thing. So I just happened across that today, thought it might be worth mentioning. These are all I want to, if sometimes I can bring some some insight into things that I'm following, and sometimes I just want to let you know the things that I'm following. We've been covering Panama Canal. It's starting to heat up a little bit, like I said, with the vessel transit number, not just the draft, but the number of vessels going through um, that has potential to gum up other freight that's coming through because container cargo has kind of historically not had much of a problem, even when the Panama Canal got backed up. So look, vessels are starting to go around. Uh, It it adds about a week is what I read, but uh, we'll see. So something to continue to watch. Well, that's it for today. There's, there's a lot going on for the, for considering it's the month of December and we're between Thanksgiving and Christmas here, but, um, you know, mostly just stuff to watch. I'll keep watching it all. I'll keep you up to date. Uh, we're going to be meeting again next week and then we're going to start breaking for the holiday season. I'm going to be watching those rules. I can't imagine anything's going to be happening right around the Christmas holiday. So, uh, I think we'll be fine, but otherwise I'll, maybe I'll pop back in. If we get a rule, maybe the 2nd of January, I'll pop back in and do a a report on that, but I can't imagine that happening. As always, the guidance here is general and for educational purposes. It should not be construed to be legal advice directly related to your matter. If you need an attorney, contact an attorney. But if you have specific legal questions, feel free to reach out to me at my legal company, Squall Strategies. Otherwise, for the non-legal questions, the e-learning, the general industry information and insights, come find me at the Maritime Professor. If you like these videos, let me know, comment, like, and share. If you want to listen to these episodes on demand or if you missed any previous episodes, check out the podcast by Land and by Sea. If you prefer to see the video, they live on my YouTube page by Land and by Sea, presented by The Maritime Professor. While you're at it, check out the website, themaritimeprofessor.com. So until next week, this is Lauren Began, The Maritime Professor, and you've just listened to By Land and by Sea. See you next time.